0: Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong.
1: Thank you, Evan. Today's guest is Don Soderquist, former senior vice chairman of Walmart, Inc., during a time where Walmart grew from $40 billion to $200 billion in sales, becoming the largest company in the world. In 1996, he was inducted into the Retailing Hall of Fame. Mr. Soderquist is also the executive in residence of the Soderquist Center that provides ethical leadership training for nonprofit, corporate, and student organizations around the world. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Don Soderquist.
2: Thank you so much, and it's my pleasure to be here with you today.
1: So, Mr. Soderquist, could you tell us how it was to work with Walmart during a period of massive growth?
2: Oh, yes, it was a, a very exciting time. I had been in the retailing business uh, for 16 years before that with Ben Franklin stores. Uh, as a matter of fact, was aware of a number of uh, Ben Franklin stores here on the islands, uh, run by the uh, Kamataki family. Uh, it's called Maui Variety, and so uh, uh, that's how I met Sam Walton. Actually, he was a Ben Franklin franchisee, and that's how we struck up a friendship. And for many years, he was after me to join uh, Walmart stores. But I will tell you, it was uh, I, as I look back on it. Uh, it was the most exciting thing that I could have ever chosen to be a part of. And I look back with no regrets uh, over uh, having chosen to to go and work with uh, Walmart. Every day was exciting. Every week was exciting. We were always trying something new. We were always expanding, growing very fast. And, uh, again, it was a wonderful time to be in that particular company. I have to tell you, though, I never would have imagined when I began with the company. I began in 1980. And actually, the sales of the company at that time were $1 billion. And then when I left the board, uh, 22 years later, they were over $200 billion. Unbelievable. And I could have never imagined that kind of growth, uh, with the company. But, uh, it was an exciting time, wonderful time. And I was very privileged to know Sam Walton personally and, uh, to be a part of it. I, as a matter of fact, Sam was a dear friend of mine. I loved him dearly. And uh, learned a great deal from him, and I think he would tell you he probably learned from me too, because a very, very open leader who solicited thoughts and ideas from us.
0: What would you say would be maybe two or three things that really stuck in your mind that you learned from Sam Walton? Uh,
2: well, I could I could give you a lot more than two or three, uh, I guarantee, but I'll I'll try to focus on a couple. Uh, first of all, he was an incredible visionary. He could see things that other people could not see in the retail business. Um, he, we were a small, small company at one time, but he envisioned the opportunity, uh, to become, become large, not by focusing on becoming large, but rather by focusing on being the best that you could be. So Sam Walton, uh, was this visionary. He saw beyond the horizon and was always excited about what it was we could accomplish if we were the best that we could possibly be. In that regard, his vision was not to become the wealthiest person in the world, although he did become the wealthiest person in the world. His vision was not to build the largest company in the world. His vision was to bring to, first of all, small, small-town small America, uh, and then expand it to mid-town, mid-sized markets uh, in the United States, uh, this shopping concept of satisfying your customers by low prices, quality merchandise, and uh being able to bring back merchandise if you didn't, uh, if you weren't pleased with it. That vision expanded to metropolitan markets, it expanded to food, expanded internationally. So he had an incredible vision of what he wanted to do, but the focus of that vision was being the best you could possibly be. The second thing is he was very pers- persistent. I mean, he, if he had an idea of what it was we could accomplish, he was very, very optimistic and he stuck with it, uh, You know, day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, We weren't a bunch of geniuses there. Uh, We were, I consider myself and uh, the people that I worked with, ordinary people. But because we worked together and had values together uh, and had a common mission, we were able to accomplish things that most people thought were impossible. Sam also, uh, I, I mentioned the word values. Sam was a man of, of outstanding values. Integrity was at the top of the list. Um, respect for every individual, no matter what their race, race, color, creed, where they'd been raised, uh, what their socioeconomic uh, situation was. He truly respected everybody exactly the same, whether he was talking to an hourly associate or the president of the United States he treated everybody uh alike and uh then i guess uh the next thing that i would say that i really appreciated uh about him uh was he brought us in as partners with him in the sense that he always solicited our ideas he wanted to know what we were thinking and uh and he and he wove those into his own vision uh and he listened to us most leaders, unfortunately, don't listen to everybody down the line. He was a great listener. So those, those are some of the things that I particularly enjoyed about Sam.
0: So he recruited you personally out of Ben Franklin then?
2: Yes, he did. So yes. He, what was
0: the point where you decided you were going to go?
2: Well, uh, actually, uh, I finally decided in 1980 to go there because this little small company called Walmart had f- finally gotten to the place where they were a billion dollars in sales, and they were no longer this tiny little company down in Arkansas. They were growing and spreading, and the growth opportunities continued to look a lot better uh, than they did in Ben Franklin. And he finally convinced me. He was after me for almost 10 years uh, to move down to Arkansas. And finally, uh, finally, I got I got the message. Uh, this company is uh, he's for real and this company will continue to grow and the growth opportunities looked outstanding.
0: So when you met him his stores were doing what kind of revenue initially?
2: When I first met him when I first met him he had just opened his first Walmart store back in 63 and it was a, a relative by any standards today it was a very small discount store probably 25,000 square feet and it wasn't doing you know necessarily that much business, but it was a lot bigger than the twenty five hundred square foot or five thousand square foot variety stores that he had, and his vision was to open these stores in small rural markets and provide for those people the same opportunities that were available in the major metropolitan areas, discount pricing and and quality service um When I joined the company, sales were a billion one billion two hundred and fifty million in nineteen eighty when he died, our sales were forty four billion. He died in April of 1992. Everybody thought that at that time the company would hit the skids uh, and uh or plateau out at least. And yet in the next 11 years, we added $200 billion on the top. And that wasn't really because we were so smart. It was because the culture of the company had been so inoculated into our veins that we simply continued on as if he were there.
0: What was the thing that Sam did, or how did he do it so that the company could keep continuing?
2: Well, again, I think, I think the issue of values, which are so very important today, um, where we've seen a major decline in ethical, uh, ethical behavior in major corporations, in politics, in education, almost any field you want to look at. Sam had, uh, had a set of values that we talked about all the time. Every Saturday at our Saturday morning meeting, we would talk about values. We would talk about what our culture was. We were talking about taking care of the customer, treating our people with respect and dignity. And, and what we did is we hammered away at that on such a continuing basis, uh, and did in fact treat our people right, did in fact treat our customers right, that it was so ingrained in us that it was, it became habit. It was virtually a habit to, Uh, take care of our people and and to serve our customers.
1: When you first joined the company, what was your title and your role? And then up to when he did pass away, how did that change? And how did you folks come together to increase the sales that way?
2: Well, when I first joined the company, I joined, uh, I'd been president of Ben Franklin, and I came there and I joined as executive vice president of distribution and then over the years, I added more and more responsibility, uh, or I shouldn't say I added it, uh, Sam added more responsibility on my shoulders, took over human resources, took over information systems. And then in 1988, Sam Walton took a little bit of a step back, and he promoted David Glass to CEO of the company and me to chief operating officer. So David was chief, chief executive officer, and I was chief operating officer. And Sam was still a, a factor in the company. There's no question about it. But he took a, a step back from the day-to-day operations at that time. Then I took over the um, Walmart uh, stores and the supercenters. David had the the um, Sams working for him, and uh, we kind of split the company down the middle. Uh, and David was a great partner with me. He treated me as an equal. And uh, I, I wouldn't want to say we were co-CEOs at all. My I was the chief operating officer. But we shared uh, in those functions. And then over the years, uh, we, we kind of switched around from time to time. When I ended, I think I had 11 major divisions working for me, including legal, public affairs, governmental relations, and uh, as well as uh, uh, systems and... Uh, human resources and loss prevention and real estate and store plan those functions but it was about half the company is what i had so it, it was added on little by little and then in 88 we kind of divided the company virtually in half
1: thanks for tuning in stay tuned for more on greater good radio
0: GreaterGoodRadio.com
1: You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Don Soderquist, former senior vice chairman of Walmart, Inc., during a time where Walmart grew from $1 billion to $200 billion in sales, becoming the largest company in the world. You're known as the keeper of the culture. What does that phrase mean to you?
2: Well, first of all, it isn't a a name that I gave to myself. Uh, the idea of the keeper of the culture was that I think in the eyes of the people in the organization, it just kind of, it just kind of grew up. I don't even know who the person, first person was that called me the keeper of the culture. But when Sam died, uh, and, uh, it was left in our hands, uh, I personally had a great concern that if we did not continue to follow the culture, and continue to emphasize the values that made us what we were. I was very much concerned that we would become just another also ran, and we would plateau out so frequently when uh, when it was speech time, I would make sure that i uh, that I covered those points uh, very clearly and explicitly with our people. I made sure throughout the organization that we were treating our people with respect and dignity. Um, when there were breaches in that, we would deal harshly with breaches in, in mistreating our people or mistreating our customers uh, or whatever. Um, I, at our Saturday morning meetings, I, I would always run our Saturday morning meetings, we continued to talk about uh, those values and the culture over and over again. And when he died, what we did is we set up – I decided that it would be best to set up the first Saturday of every month to make sure that we took one element of our culture – And so what I did is I would uh, call on people from the audience, any member of someone from accounting or store operations or merchandising or real estate or whatever, and uh, say in two weeks now at our culture Saturday, I would like you to take one of our elements of our culture and share it with the people. What your view of it, what does it look like in your mind? What does integrity look like in Walmart? Um, How do we perpetuate it? What does, what does sense of urgency look like to you? And, uh, and and as a result of doing that, different people gave their different viewpoints on it, and it didn't matter what their position was in the company, and they did a fantastic job, and that took it out of the realm of just senior leadership talking about it. Everybody in the organization talked about it, so that was one of the one of the ways. And I guess I somehow or other got uh, called by the as the keeper of the culture. The Saturday broadcast; those were via satellite to the entire company. Correct. Uh, we would do that and 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 it was altered over time at uh at at one time we just had it in our in our auditorium and then we be- began uh um, sharing it over our satellite network to uh our people in the stores and uh our district managers uh, out there uh and we use our satellite network rather uh uh frequently for training uh purposes uh we'd put classes on there for our people. We would, uh, every month, uh, there would be information going out about our sales. Every quarter, we would uh, s- several of the senior officers would get on that satellite network, and we would share with all of the people in the break rooms of all of our stores and clubs what our sales and profitability were for the quarter, and let them know the same day that it was being released to the media, we'd let our people know about them so they didn't read about it in the newspaper.
0: Makes them feel included, then.
2: Absolutely. It it was just a, a ve- we were very inclusive. Uh every store manager uh shared with every hourly associate in every store every month what our sales were and what our profitability were. We didn't, you know, in that particular store, we just were very open with our people and we felt if they really were included as partners in the business, then they would be very loyal and dedicated to the company and treat them as if they were really, you know, shareholders in the company. Yes.
1: Are you able to tell us the points of the culture that you wanted to keep in Walmart? You know, I, I heard you mention keeping people as part of the team, no matter what position they held in Walmart. Were there other points of the culture that you wanted to keep alive? Oh, yeah. uh,
2: yes. I, I, um, I really believe that, uh, you know what, now would probably be a good time to tell you this, that I, I think it's important to put this as, a, as an umbrella around everything I'm saying. Walmart did not do everything perfectly. We made mistakes in things we did. We're a group of human beings, and human beings have frailties. And we also have different personalities, and we have different skills, and we have different abilities. And, and so we made those human mistakes, and sometimes store managers didn't treat people properly. And as soon as we found out about it, we did something about it. One of the vehicles that we used that was an important part of our culture was what we call the open door policy, and that said that no matter what you, no, no matter what your position may be in the company, that if there is something going on in the company that you think is inappropriate, please let us know if you're afraid to go to your manager or your district manager or you can call Sam Walton if you want to call Sam Walton, or you can send a letter to Sam Walton. You can call Don Soderquist or David Glass. And we worked hard at making sure that every one of those responses to us was handled by, our, um, by one of our people to find out what's going wrong. We found out that there were things going on in stores that were wrong, uh, and we dealt with them. Uh, I think it's one thing to find out about it. The other thing is to deal with it. And what we tried to do with our open-door policy was to make sure that people did not feel threatened and that uh, they could go ahead and bring that to the attention of uh, of uh, senior leadership, and so we spent a lot of time uh, working on that. So I think that's one of the critical elements of our culture. But there's a, there was a whole there was a whole that was part. By the way, I would include that under the, uh, the under the umbrella of respect for the individual, respecting people's opinions. So there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of elements like that un, under the the uh, banner of our culture.
1: and at greatergoodbooks.com.
0: Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stop filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're
1: back with Don Soderquist, former senior vice chairman of Walmart, Inc., during a time where Walmart grew from $1 billion to $200 billion in sales, becoming the largest company in the world.
0: Don, what are some of the lessons that other business people can learn from Walmart? I mean, we look at Walmart and we go, wow, but other people running smaller businesses, I mean, everything is smaller compared to Walmart, but you know, entrepreneurs and other businesses, what are the main things you think that we can learn from Walmart's success?
2: Well, again, that's a great question. I'm asked that all the time. What You know, what, what, what are the learnings uh, for us? And um, I did write a book called The Walmart Way, and the original intention of that book was to uh, those people that come to work at Walmart today uh, the people that weren't there when Sam was there uh, or some of the other early senior leaders were there, to try to put in a book the things that made us successful and and to try to preserve that culture uh, on into the future because I really think that uh, if we do preserve that culture, we can continue to grow and continue to be a successful company. If we let that culture or any element of it slip away that bothers me about what the future might hold. So that was the purpose of the book. What I found is a lot of people are reading it today and they're taking the principles that I put in the book that made Walmart successful and they're taking it and saying how does this apply in my company? I cover a lot of stories in there about things that that uh, that my, were my own experiences that I learned from uh, Walmart, but they back up those principles. Uh, and so companies are finding those principles. The principles are basically, what's your vision? And and it, 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 our vision was not a financial vision. Our vision was focusing on our our customers and serving our customers, being the best retailer we could possibly be. The vision was on helping other people. It wasn't on self-gratification. Through Now, if you do that, our belief was, that if you do treat people right, you do treat your customers right, the sales and profitability will take care of themselves. And I really think that it's important. Some, some companies have wonderful vision statements, and they sound really good in the shower. Uh, but from a practical standpoint, uh, they don't apply them in the business because all of the focus is on either the sales or the profitability or the price of the stock. And uh, so I think vision was important. Having a culture built on sound values. I mean, good. everybody's got a sense of values. You know, are they good values? Are they the right values? Are they based on integrity and courage and respect and excellence and teamwork and things like that? So I think that's a second part that, uh, that I've tried to cover um, in, in the book. Another part is that uh, the customer's the boss. Uh, you need to understand that it doesn't matter what you think is important in running a store. The customer is the one that dictates and determines what is really important and what isn't. Uh, another uh, part of it I, again i 've included a number of these in the book, but there are I think twelve principles that i 've included in the book that that are the reason in my judgment that uh, that the company was able to achieve what really no other company has achieved, and nobody ever imagined they could achieve so uh, so those again are principles that apply in my judgment to any business doesn't doesn 't matter how small they are we were small. And the principles were used then, and they, that's what helped us to become big.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio.
0: After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawai'i's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanuman.
1: The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed.
0: The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, And will inspire you to live a greater good life.
1: Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com.
0: Neptune Nights, we're feeling fine. We're staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptune Nights, the sunshine in your mouth. For bubble
1: tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-262 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptune,
0: the sunshine in your mouth. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at GreaterGoodRadio.com.
1: Who donates 6% of sales to make more money?
0: Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised
1: $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief?
0: Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. greatergoodradio.com.
1: You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Don Soderquist, former senior vice chairman of Walmart Inc. and executive in residence of the Soderquist Center that provides ethical leadership training for nonprofit, corporate, and student organizations around the world.
0: Don, you know, we're talking about uh, leadership and we're talking about vision. After you had retired from Walmart, you started the Soderquist Center. What made you want to start a whole new career, basically? Instead of just, you know, buying a yacht and sailing the South Pacific.
2: Well, you know, uh, I've asked that a lot by a lot of people. Um, even my children say, Dad, how do you spell retirement? Uh, what's the deal? And uh, I could have done just about anything I wanted to do. But I will tell you that I was really concerned about what I saw taking place in our society and uh, I was concerned about what I would call a blurring of right and wrong, where when I was raised, my mom and dad taught me what was right and wrong, and there was no question in my mind. Uh, They also taught me there were consequences of doing wrong, Um, and the interesting thing about it was my teachers in school backed them up, and uh, my teachers in school basically had the same list of right and wrongs. I I don't like to put it in the Form of a list, but it was very clear. Our neighbors, my relatives, the mayor of the town, my pastor at church, my youth leader—they all had pretty much a common set of rights and wrongs. Today, I see a a change taking place in our society where that's becoming blurred, and and that that was a, a great distress to me. And we began talking about this in 1997 before I retired. Uh, and we began our center in 1998 because I had a passion to do what I could to help other people. You know, it's not unlike your radio station, your your program here. What you're trying to do is, I mean, I love what you're trying to do. You're trying to encourage entrepreneurs, um, you know, here in the islands as related to listening to uh, individuals who might share experiences that might be helpful to them. And so I love what you're doing. You have a passion for this, or you wouldn't have started it. I had a passion to see if we could reach leaders, particularly leaders, CEOs and COOs of companies, and help them to realize that that the ethics in our country are sinking, and it is a slippery slope, and it can happen in any company. And that is of, that was of great concern to me. And I thought, well, based on my experience at Walmart and what I did learn there, and and what I spent my life on at Walmart, I thought I might be able to share that with other people and encourage them. And I have to tell you that I am absolutely amazed and delighted at the results of what we're doing in the center. There's people calling me back that have attended and said, you know what, Don, I never would have looked at this as an ethical dilemma before, but you know, you've made me conscious of the fact that there is a right and there is a wrong. And what we try to do is encourage leaders to first of all know what your values are It's amazing how many leaders have never sat down written down what their values are. They don't know what they stand for and and so we encourage them to write down on a piece of paper what their right you know what their values are, what is right and wrong in your mind. Then, when they come to ethical crossroads, they have a sense they've already thought this through. And, and and it isn't like uh being faced with a decision i got to make right now and i you know sometimes uh, people rationalize decisions and uh there was an article in uh, in uh, fortune magazine uh back in 2002 after all of this stuff started breaking loose in 2000 2001 and they they looked at these companies that had the largest ethical breaches and the conclusion they came to was an incremental descent into bad judgment until the violation of standards became the standard. These people, I don't believe for one minute, started out to be bad people. I mean, these were looked upon as well-respected business leaders in our country. And I think what happened is, with their compensations tied to to stock price and to options and all the rest of that they would make little steps down the down the road and at first they were little and they kept getting bigger and bigger and the more they got away with it they made bigger and bigger judgments in retrospect as we look at them we we say how could they ever have done this you know were their consciences seared as related to what is right and what is wrong and so um so again, uh, we're dealing with leaders, and, and uh, what, what we want to have happen is those leaders have a great impact on the people that they work with, and they can influence them, and also make sure that they've got a healthy company from, an eth- from ethical standards. Ethical breaches are taking place still today. We're not through this at all levels in, co- in companies. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes the senior leaders know it, and they don't do anything about it. And so I'm very much concerned about it. And uh, But we've got testimonial after testimonial of people that say, thank you for alerting us to this and raising the yellow flag for us because it can happen to us too. It can happen to anywhere. Walmart has had its own set of ethical breaches, I might add, which grieve me to no end. But it can happen in any company, any company at all. Thanks
0: for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host Evan Leong and Carrie Leong saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.